Welcome to a special bonus episode of 15 Minute History, where we're discussing the second and last presidential debate of 2020. I'm John Streeter. And I'm Joe Parker. And for those of you who were fans of Dan Lindsay, unfortunately, he couldn't be here tonight, but we look forward to having him back on the podcast again very soon. Yes, we do. All right, Joe, we've just seen Donald Trump's last performance, probably on a debate stage. What are your general thoughts on it? Calm, cool, and collected. <laughs> Agreed. A large departure from where we were in the first debate. Yeah. His statements towards Biden and his attacks on Biden seem to be delivered in a much, like you said, calmer way. Do you think they were more or less effective? Well, I would say that they were more effective for yeah. sure. Because first of all, you could understand what he was saying. He gave time for the statements to settle in. And one particular example was when Biden was being challenged by Trump as to why he hasn't gotten all the things he wants to get done done when he was in office for eight years. Yeah. And, and in the Senate for and in the 40 Senate. years. Right, almost. right. So Biden's response was it was the Republican Congress. Mm -hmm. And he said it like it was a mic drop moment. In fact, we at home thought our channel had locked up and it was frozen. Like we thought our signal oh, really? went up. Yeah, because it seemed like the second started to pass and no one did anything. And partly that's because the crowd was not allowed to say anything or clap. Yeah. But Trump just jumped in and said, well, that's why you got to talk to him, Joe. It was just yeah. so on point. And I think the, the theme overall, he kept going back to it, which is pretty rare. I find that to be fa fairly rare. Trump is a walking Twitter feed where he will, <laughs> yes. or he can be, yeah, he where can. he will start saying things and you don't have a chance. There's no coherency. Unless you've already been following him, you have no idea what he's going to say. Exactly. But he managed to weave a thread through the night, through all of his statements. It was just like, I got into politics because of you. You, you being Biden right. and, and Obama, yes. Right. I am not a politician. You are. So and he just kept going back to that. He ladled that back at him over and over and over again when he said, you had all this time to get all this done and suddenly you think you, that you can get it done. Mm -hmm. You're always running on the same thing. He just kept hammering on that point, which I honestly found very surprising. I did not expect that. I expected him to be calmer because he couldn't get any worse. Yeah. And full disclosure, this is a theory of mine, but I honestly think that when Trump in the first debate was so just off the walls. I think he was already starting to suffer from those COVID challenges that he succumbed to yeah. in, in, in the following days. And I think that that may have contributed to it. But I think also his strategy in that first debate was completely wrong. Hmm. So you think he was actually already sick at that first debate? I think there's even a though he was tested and all of that. I think that there's a chance he was. Okay. It's just part of it is to trying to figure out how do you qualify his behavior in the first debate versus his time at rallies? Because it's not how he's at rallies. Yeah, that's true. So, or it was a lack of preparation. I mean, he said he was not doing any prep for well, the first debate. Well, he says a lot of stuff. Debate. No, so you're, you're, yeah, that's true. But you know, I Trump's not my debate student, but he reminds me of some debate students who they go into their first one, they're like, "Oh yeah, I've got this. I don't need any help," and it is a train wreck. Yeah. And then in the second debate, they learn from it, and they're like, "Oh, okay, I have to do some prep. I have to measure my tone. I have to well, moderate my words." That's a great point, and that's what he did. Well, I mean, there's a very good chance he saw Pence's performance mm -hmm. and said, "Okay, well, that works." Yeah. I also know he was coached by several people outside of his debate coaching team. I guess yeah. his staff. He was getting outside help. That's true. Yeah. So, John, how did you see it? Very much in the same way. I thought. He did a really good job of prosecuting the case, not as well as Pence did in his debate, but, you know, Trump is still Trump. He's still not great with commanding the details of the facts. He's not a he's not a terrific storyteller. He didn't take you through from point A to point B to point C, and this is why you shouldn't vote for Biden. There were a lot of, like you said, Twitter moments where 
unless you had regularly followed the president on Twitter or had watched his rallies, you didn't know what he was talking about when he talked about, you know, the emails and Russia, Russia, Russia and stuff like that. You really have to be pretty politically engaged. And to the extent that debates are about changing minds, which more on that, I'm sure a little bit later, you have to talk to your audience as though they are not super politically engaged. It's different in the primaries when it's mostly political nuts who are watching, but in the general election, you really have to tell a story. And Biden was better at that than Trump was. And so was Pence and Harris during their debate a few weeks ago. There was a moment when Biden really tried to dive into creating this picture, like the family sitting around the table. Oh, yeah. And Trump called him on it because True. he goes back to the fact that you've been in government for 47 years and you're throwing out these platitudes. Mm -hmm. And he's just said, Joe, come on, yeah. you can do you can do better. Yeah, right. And it was it was really it was a Chris Christie moment. I mean, if you go back to 2016, when Chris Christie was just kind of tired of Marco Rubio and finally called him out on his very rehearsed, very kind of packaged political rhetoric, Chris Christie was just like, listen, this is not real. You're not talking about real people here. You're using poll tested political campaign consultant approved language. I'm talking about real people. Here. Right. And that's what Trump was doing. Biden was better at telling the story of, yeah, there's an empty chair at your table. There's an empty space next to, you know, in your bed next to you. But the facts at his command didn't match the reality on the ground that he has had 47 years to do a whole lot of these things in the Senate and as vice president. And I do understand. I think Biden got a little upset at one point where he was like, listen, for eight years, I was not the president. Obama was the guy, you know, in charge. Yeah, that was, I was surprising. I was the co-pilot. But I completely understand it because Trump was making it sound, and the Republicans during this whole campaign have made it sound like Biden was in charge during those eight years. And he really wasn't. No, those, no, Those who wasn't. are old enough to remember the Obama years know that he was kind of pushed to the side for large portions of those eight years because he was crazy old Joe. You know, he got out in front of the administration on gay marriage. He was the sole voice against the bin Laden raid. There were several times when Biden would say or do something and the administration would have to kind of roll it back in a way. So to portray Biden as the main driving force of the Obama years, I think is inaccurate. Now, it's necessary. And everyone, when you have a VP running, everyone running against that person always makes it sound like, well, they were an integral part of every every part of that of that administration. Bush did it to Gore in 2000. Sure. So using that as a segue, let's talk about answers, because answers from both Biden and Trump obviously showcase the stark contrast between their policies. Yeah. Part of the thing that I took away was I think that Biden was more intentional about couching his answers in flowery rhetoric mm -hmm. rather than Trump, who Trump Who's was a just, hammer in search of a nail to he quote just, Ben Shapiro. He just he just says it. Yeah. And he's like, well, no. And. That's good most of the time. Sometimes it's not. Like, as an example, when he was asked to give his final statement, as if you were talking yeah, to the American people, not great. he was trying to convince the moderator of what he was saying. And I get what he was saying, but it was his opportunity, to your point, to tell that story. But Trump is Trump. Mm -hmm. And even though he was much better in this debate and he had a better command of the facts, I think that uh, there's always going to be things where he's not going to be like a Joe Biden right. or an Obama. And maybe that isn't a bad thing. I don't know. So how did you see, when you were hearing the answers given, what were some of your thoughts? I think what stood out to me the most, because in the run-up to the debate, in the two or three days before that, you had the whole Hunter Biden scandal break with, with the right. New York Post reporting all sorts of stuff about Vice President Biden's son. And 
I'll confess, I haven't dug too deeply into it, so I don't know if Biden, if Hunter Biden is the snake that a lot of conservative press are reporting. That's, to me, immaterial in the, in the context of this discussion. Trump, basically, he, he was kind of stuck in the days leading up to the debate because if he was first debate Trump and he went after, because he talked about Hunter in the first debate, and it came off very, very, very badly right. because he basically admitted he didn't know about Bo Biden Joe Biden's other son, who died of, I believe it was brain cancer, shortly yeah, before the 2016 tumor. election. So if Trump showed up and did that again, he was going to be a monster who attacked another person's child. But if he didn't bring up the Hunter Biden scandal, his own base was going to be like, oh, Trump's gone soft. He's not prosecuting the case against Biden the way we know he can. And the way Trump answered those questions from Kristen Welker, who did a fantastic job as a moderator. I was, I was surprised. And, yeah, yeah. She did a great job. She did. And when he, when he brought that up, he did a really good job of saying, listen, it was the Biden family who was getting money from all yeah. these places. You know, he said, I don't take money from Russia. You do. I don't take money from China. You do. And I think he did a really good job of making the case, right or wrong, depending on the details of the, of the Hunter Biden scandal, that ultimately... Joe Biden was responsible for that because Hunter was trading on Joe Biden's position and name, and Joe Biden let him do that. So he didn't mention Hunter's name once in the entire debate, and I thought with, with all of his, in all of his answers, I thought that was a very, very effective tactic. So as far as debate answers, that's the one that really stuck out to me the most. Beyond that, it was just – it was the whole tone because, again, comparing this debate to the last debate is apples and oranges. It's a completely – almost right. a completely different person. Trump was much more measured. He, he didn't interrupt too much. He didn't fly off the handle, flash white with rage, and start shouting or anything like that. Yeah. Now, as far as Biden went, I think it was very clear as the night went on, he was not prepared to be able to speak as much. I mean, that was, that was nice that Trump let him speak. As you said, he let those answers sit for a moment. But Biden, as he got to like the minute and a half mark in his answers, he started to kind of like run out of things to say because he's expecting Trump to interrupt and all of that. So he kept saying- It became his, platitudes. Yeah. Well, and it also became just, come on, come on. He never said, come on, man, once. So I lost my- He did uh, say malarkey. He did, but I lost my debate bingo because I needed, you know, come on, man, as just, just one time. But his answers were either platitudes or he started to like lose his train of thought. And I think he showed his age far more than Trump did. Not criticizing people for being old or anything like that, No, obviously, but age is a factor when you're talking about leadership and when you're talking about the ability to approach a crisis from an intellectual and from a leadership standpoint, how are we going to protect the country? Someone who is not able to give a clear, consistent, two-minute answer on policies regarding China or on COVID lockdowns. He can memorize a minute-long soundbite but he doesn't have enough command of the facts to be able to talk specifically about these things. And part of it was he did a much better job when he was talking about policies he was involved with for 47 years. So some of this stuff is new, but you still have to be able to show the American people, listen, I know what I'm talking about, rather than just saying, come on, man, come on, malarkey, malarkey, and all of that. So Biden had a worse debate performance in well, this one because he was able to talk and give complete answers and the answers were not great. Well, and sometimes the answers were wrong. 
So well, he was both you know, sides had that. Yes, that's yeah, true. I mean, but there, yes, he did look into the camera and lie several times. There were Trump brought up several things that Biden has said in the past, not just said privately, but done, but, done, but he said it on camera oh, yeah. in front of large groups that you can go online and research and say, yes, he did say this about black men. He did brag on stage about threatening to withhold aid mm. if a Ukrainian prosecutor did not drop the case. Yeah. And I kept watching him do this, not totally surprised because people in politics are in politics, Yeah. but I was just, I was trying to think what, what, what coaching did he receive to say, this is not true. I did not say that mm-hmm. when you absolutely did. And, you know, when thinking about some of Trump's answers, he had a few of those too, but, he did. But, yeah. but not nearly the amount that Biden has. And I think partly because Biden has been in politics for so long, so much of what he's done has been recorded over and over mm-hmm. and over again. But there was a really good point in the debate on this whole topic where Trump was being challenged to release his taxes again. And Trump brought up the fact that, hey, there was a team that went through every single asset I have and every single thing I own mm-hmm. and spent three and a half years doing it. And 48, they didn't, $48 million. They didn't find anything. Mm-hmm. So if you're expecting to find something when I release my returns, if he does, I don't know if he will. If you're expecting to find that, you're not going to. Yeah. And so it was an interesting dichotomy between the two. It's like he was challenged and he said, well, actually, I've already, I've already answered this in one way. And Biden just lied. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he just said, well, no, I didn't say that. Yeah, 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 you did. Yeah. And more than just the rhetoric, the one that stood out to me in terms of Biden saying things that were blatantly untrue, when he said not, he looked into the camera and said, not one person has lost their health insurance. Yes, Thanks to Obamacare. I'm sitting here raising my hand. I was at a watch party with some students and some friends, like, raising my hand. I lost my insurance thanks to Obamacare. My catastrophic plan in 2010 was canceled because it was made illegal. So I lost my insurance. Right. So there's one. And it's not just me. This is not anecdotal evidence. PolitiFact in 2000, I think, 12 or 13 or maybe later, I don't remember the year, they they labeled that their, quote, lie of the year. How many people lost their physicians? Uh, physicians of Obama. Millions lost their health insurance plans. Right. The ongoing thing that was said at the time was if you like your doctor, you can keep it. Yeah. Keep them. And that just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. It just didn't happen. And also, Biden talked and that about. Was, I'm sorry. That was the political lie of the okay. year. Sorry. I, went, I, I may have misspoken there, but PolitiFact said you, if you like your doctor, you can keep it. That was the lie of the year. I'm sorry. I just wanted to clarify that. Right. The other thing was his comment about we're going to lower premiums based on what? Obamacare did not lower premiums Mm -hmm. in any circumstance. I mean, it increased premiums by amounts that are just ungodly. Mm -hmm. I have friends who who tried to go onto the marketplace and their deductibles were twenty thousand dollars. It was it was unbelievable for a thousand dollars a month or more. And that's not health insurance. Mm-hmm. It's it's something that's unaffordable. It's it's not something that people who are working everyday jobs can afford. And at the time, before the mandate was pulled out, you would get penalized if you didn't do something. So those types of things got me. I, I just was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of your political beliefs, those are facts. You can look at the data and see how yeah, Obamacare there's, there's data changed your— Yeah. So we're not sitting here ranting because we're a couple of conservatives or anything like that. These these are the facts. Right. I have a theory, Joe, about presidential debates. I want to get your, uh, your take on this. Because everyone—I'm going through the— the presidential election process in my government class with students. And one of the questions that the textbook asks the students is, 
What kind of role do you think presidential debates uh, in the general election specifically have on the American people? And the book we used was published in 2004. And so it's a wildly different vision of American politics because it's pre-Obama and pre-Trump. But the book makes the case that it's about changing minds. And my theory is that may have been true, certainly like in the 80s and 90s and earlier. Yeah. But I think presidential debates now are about driving voter turnout. It's about solidifying in your mind, yes, I, regardless of how rainy or cold it is, regardless of how, you know, if I'm just not feeling good or I just, I, just, eh, I don't know if I want to go vote, I'm going to remember a moment that was said on TV with millions of people watching. For Trump in 16, it was because you'd be in jail. Those kinds of moments are what make people say, I would crawl over broken glass to vote for that candidate. And so while who won, I think the analysis of debates afterwards about who won the debate is totally wrong. It's about, did you speak to your audience enough and say, listen, get out and vote? Regardless of what you think of policies or anything else, I am the man or woman who is going to take care of you, who is going to, who is going to lead you, get your butt into a polling station on election day and vote. That was actually going to be one of my questions to you, because I went into the debate with the pretty absolute idea that this is not going to affect anyone's vote, mm -hmm. because everyone has already decided, based on what we've been seeing in the polls— you mean in terms of changing minds? Right, yeah. right. So you, you're you saying that it's not about changing minds. I don't it's think a, it it's is. It's about mobilizing the people who are who would vote for Trump or Biden mm -hmm. one way or the other. I think so. And I think it's been like that at least since 2012, maybe even back to 2008. Okay. I think the era of social media has changed it. That is a very interesting point because last night I heard a news report saying that the number of Google searches for how do I change my vote has increased exponentially. Really? Yes. After oh, wow. Thursday. Huh. Well, the short answer is you can't. You can in some states. Can you really? Yeah, but it's not It's not something that's like an easy process. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. So there's Government a Government teacher who doesn't know that. There's, I don't know what states they are. So, yeah. so, so Indiana, you don't know if we're, we're yeah, one I'm not of sure. them. Okay. But you have a lot of people who, who have been searching for that after Thursday. And then you had voter turnout this weekend, which was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. People were waiting eight hours in line to cast their vote. Yeah. That's what I plan on doing on election day. I don't have to work that day. And I, I would imagine it's going to be... Yeah, I'm actually going to try and go before then. But Oh, you're one of those early voters? Well, only because I don't want to wait in line all day. <laughs> So you would agree with me that, that you think it's more about so, uh, shifting uh, or it's more about driving turnout than it is about changing minds. Yeah, yeah, I do. And I wouldn't have thought of that before because my mind was always set on is the purpose of, of the debate to convince someone that you're right. And in this election, I think by now people are convinced one way or the I other. I think so. So you're going to have people who are thinking that they don't need to vote. I don't know how that's possible considering every single prompt, every hour of the day. Thank you, Facebook, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to vote. Leave me alone. Yeah. But it's... <laughs> I wish there was actually like an I've already voted yeah. check mark you or box. You can shut it you off. Can. I know you can. Yeah. yeah. Although I did that and yet I was still getting... I still get them too. Yeah. And every celebrity on Instagram, go vote, go vote, go vote. Yeah. Twitter, go vote, go vote, what go vote. Even on Parler, go vote, go vote, go vote. And you should vote, right? You absolutely should. Yes. So as a final question, how do you think or do you think that the debates this year have changed how debates will be going forward? It really depends on the future of like how the pandemic is going to affect presidential elections. I think a lot of the 
energy was taken out of debates this year in terms of uh, having the audience in the room. Because even if the audience isn't supposed to participate, people who speak in public, and you know this as well as I do because we both speak in public, you feed off the audience's energy. And I think that having such a small audience that's socially distanced and all of that really changes, not just because Trump is used to speaking to thousands of people or anything like that, it changes how a performer, and that's what debate participants are, they're, they're giving performances, how they, uh, the energy level that they have. So if we end up on a semi-permanent, not lockdown, but semi-permanent like social distancing restrictions and mask restrictions, which some people are talking about into 2022, 2023, that will affect presidential debates in 24 and going forward. If we're able to get the pandemic under control and we don't see a repeat of this when the next coronavirus or the next type of flu, we've had swine flu, we've had bird flu, what's next? Crocodile flu, whatever it is. It's probably the turtle flu, right? Very, very likely. Mitch McConnell. <laughs> if we're able to learn from this experience and deal with pandemics more quickly going forward, I don't think the debates will change much in 24 and, and going on. We won't have the orange man anymore, which is kind of sad. I think he should coach presidential candidates on the Republican Party ticket after uh, after this on how to be bombastic and be large and be loud, because I don't think Pence is capable of that. No, he's absolutely not. And I'm looking no. at some of the other candidates. There are a few potential 24 nominees who could who could match Trump in his in his bombacity, if not his um, his energy. Yeah, I mean, his energy. Yeah, he is. I mean, the energy he has is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I mean, he eats terribly. <laughs> he, he like Big Macs every day. Yeah, I big, mean, big Macs and Diet Coke beat coronavirus in three days, and it comes out super Trump and, and like like an amplified <laughs> I have, version. I have the best antibodies. Everyone's I'm telling immune. me this. I'm, I'm immune. immune. It's like oh my gosh, Donald. it's like it's he's like Trump times two. Yeah. To answer your question, I don't think there's going to be much of a change. I think this has been, I mean, it's 2020, and that's really all you can say is everything has changed in this year. Yeah. So, And I think the, the presidential debates were, were a part of that, but I don't know if it's going to be a long-term change. When do you think we will know the results of the election? I think within the first week. You think so? Yeah. Okay. I think we're going to have a I good idea. I hope and idea. pray you're right. I think that there's going to be some some contesting going on, and there may be one or st one or two states or even three that that change or mm -hmm. whatever, maybe. But a couple factors. One, and this is something we'll talk more about on, on our yeah. on Friday. Yeah. yeah, on Friday. One, you have people who, if you look just just at the rallies, okay, even with Obama going to to rallies, he's pulling what forty people. Well, that's because of social distancing. But even right. when they well, even when they had a drive-in rally where people were That's separated true. in their cars, there were eight cars, ten cars. Biden was the same way. Mm -hmm. When you look at Trump rallies, I know he's he's doing them now on on actual tarmacs. Yeah, but these images are, are crazy. It's it's actually very surprising to me because I thought for one we have this virus happening, mm -hmm. and I see a lot of a lot of the people in in the crowd wearing the masks. And as he should be. So yeah. that's great. But we have this pandemic, but also we've had somebody who has a record now who's been in office for four years, who's not just this idea. And yet people are coming in droves, thousands and thousands of people waiting in line for days still. Mm -hmm. And people are turned away. And so we have this. And that, I think, goes back to the point that you made about what's the purpose of a debate. And I think that going forward, my idea, the thing that will change, I think, is that no longer will there be an attempt to convince the independents, which personally speaking, I don't think there are any independents. I think that there are people who are going to vote one way and like to say that they're independents. Mm. That's my own view. But 
I think that to your point, it's going to be more of a, how do we mobilize people to get out and vote? You may agree with me if I'm the one on stage debating, but my job now is not to get you to agree with me more. Yeah. It's to get you up off your butt and get you in the voting line and to cast that ballot. So how do I do that? How do I drive up that energy to accomplish that? That's why I think that your comment is so correct, Mm -hmm. is that going into this election, this one in particular, people are so polarized one way or the other, thanks to the media, thanks to Trump, thanks to Biden, thanks to everything going on. And you have to ask, well, what's the point of this? And to your point, the point is get excited about who you're going to vote for, because this is the contrast between the policies. Hmm. And this is... This is the difference between the America that you're going to be voting for or not. Yeah. And so that's that's where I see the change happening and why I think the results are going to be pretty clear. Boy, I hope you're right. I really do. I don't know. I got out of the prediction business in February and March when I was predicting all sorts of things on this podcast yeah. at the end of last season and was wrong on just about all of them. Yeah. Well, I, I hope you're right. I really do. Yeah, well, I, don't think I our hope country, so too. I don't think our country can handle months or weeks or even months or especially months of uncertainty in this thing. I think everyone I is think so, so ready for it to be over. Just like we're ready for the lockdowns to be over, we're ready for this election season to be over. And that's why I think that there's going to be, I, when you see the turnout as well, I mean, there's so many people who are actively involved in this. Yeah. And I actually don't think that the mail-in voting issue is going to be that huge of an issue. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I mean, I, I just don't. So I think think it's going to be a short-lived contest. Yeah, I hope so. All right, for the political junkies in our audience, next Monday, November 2nd, we will have a long discussion between Joe and I and a couple of other guests. Dan Lindsay, I believe, is coming back just to kind of share our thoughts on the entire election process and everything like that. If you're not a political junkie, we still hope you'll listen, and we hope that everyone in our audience will get out and vote. We will be back to regular episodes on Monday, November 9th, I believe it is. Correct. Thank you. So from all of us at 15 Minute History, we hope you've enjoyed these debate discussions, and we will see you all very soon.